And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast slash Zach's Amateur Science Hour, where it's almost time to start the NBA season. We are, I believe, 12 days away from tip-off, which means it's time to bat around some of the big questions, talk about some crazy trades that will never happen and may, may who knows, may actually happen. Talk probably about the Boston Celtics with longtime Los Angeles resident, head of the Bill Simmons Media Company, Spotify Maven. What else? I don't even know. Bill Simmons, how are you? I can't believe I'm on the pod during the same day that you wrote that semi Ojale might be the answer for Milwaukee to replace PJ Tucker. I just, I don't know whether I want to upbraid you, scold you, have an intervention. I don't know what I want to do, but you watched semi Ojale for four years. How do you write that? What, what's happened to you? What's happened to you? We just right off the bat, semi Ojale leading off the podcast. He's thirty eight percent on corner through. Why do you hate? Why do Celtics fans hate semi Ojale oh so much? God. Why thirty eight percent on completely wide open three? I just that's I, fine. That's the only listen, shot he's going to take. Great. We we needed wings for four years. He couldn't play for the Celtics, a team that actually needed wings. Just stop. Tell your editor to take that out. Just tell him to go back in. It's well, not too he, late. It's only been up for a few hours. He's going to hear this now. Uh, how's your um? How are, how is your epidemiology coming? Have you been doing some like a lot of academic research on epidemiology, vaccination? Like, do you read do you, do you read any any European journals, like London based journals, on this kind of stuff? Well, I like how they decided, at least at Celtics games, that the first four rows closest to the bench had to provide vaccination proof, but fifth row is fine. I like fifth, how did fifth they rows, come, fifth rows a free for all? Fifth rows, fifth row, it's chaos at the fifth row. First four rows, fine, totally fine. So yeah, um, look the Kyrie thing. We're, we're taping this. It's Wednesday afternoon, my time. Uh, later afternoon, your time. But the Kyrie thing was the most predictable saga, taking turns for the worst that you could have predicted during a preseason. And I doesn't seem like he's going to play, and I think he's good with that. And you know, it feels like the last few years of his career have been building up to this moment is my take. Building up to this moment. What a what a world. So let's let's just start there. Let's like first first big question for Bill Simmons on the Low Post podcast. Can the Nets win the championship without Kyrie Irving? Assuming and if you want to get wild, we can talk about trade, but let's just assume for the sake of this question. They cannot trade him for anything. So he's just an empty roster spot. They just say, you know what? We don't want you. If we don't need this like part time, you can play on the road thing is not working for us. Just like we'll just have to figure it out later. Can they still win the championship? Yes, because you figure there's some buyout guy coming in February who can at least play some of the minutes and they have Patty Mills. I mean, they did a really good job there in the winter. I, I think one of the things that's interesting to me about this season is usually the contenders are works in progress heading toward December, January, February, and then they'll add two guys. And you look at the Nets and Lakers, who are the clear favorites, and they kind of did all their work before the season, right? So the Nets, if the, you remove Kyrie, you remove his minutes, then that would allow them to get a buyout guard that you combine with Patty Mills, and they'll be fine. They'll still have two of the best eight guys in the league, two of the best nine, whatever your list is. And I think they could win it without him, which I think would be kind of an unbelievable plot as it unfolded, right? Just to watch that as we all kind of collectively realize, oh, they can actually win this without him. Holy mackerel. I don't think there's any question that they can win without him. The whole thing. I guess the better question is, are they still the favorites without him? Because I think with him, I think with him, they are 
very clear favorites to the point that I think the field versus Brooklyn is an act is a, is a tough choice. And I actually, I'm not sure I would go Brooklyn. I haven't thought that hard about it. I might without him. Are they still undisputed favorites to you or does it get a little rickety between them, the Lakers and the Bucks? I'm more bullish on Milwaukee than most. I think Milwaukee is now getting an unfair rap for some of the reasons that they won the title last year, which I get. But I, I think people are just kind of sleeping on what happened to Giannis those last two rounds and the confidence you can get sometimes from winning a title, which is historically in the NBA. I think over football is different. You can win the Super Bowl in football and the next year guys change. Your urgency has been uh, reduced a little bit. But in basketball, we have a lot of examples of like, especially a team built around a guy as special as Giannis of winning that title is actually unleashes them. And it, if anything, they're better the year after. I don't feel like they lost a lot. They lost PJ Tucker, who I think averaged zero points a game the last two rounds. I, he might've had one three in there. So I think feel like they can patch that together, but for what last year did for holiday, you know, and you think even think like the Olympics, like holiday was a more reliable Olympic guy than, than Damian Lillard what it did for Middleton and what it did for Giannis, who really seems like he has an edge to him. And I like how he's positioned himself as this guy who's like, everyone else can build their super teams and play with their friends. Like I'm my team is in Milwaukee. These are my guys and we're going to do it the old fashioned way. So I, I love that people are counting them out. Cause I think it's good for him. It's like kind of a little, nobody believes in us stuff with them. So why do you think that though? Like, what are people nitpicking about the Bucks title run? The fact that they got the Hawks and then like Trey Young was hurt, Philly choked, Phoenix was not a quote unquote real final series. It's just all that stuff. No, I think it's the Nets. I think I think the feeling is the Nets beat them if basically even one of those two guys doesn't get hurt, and then they almost beat them anyway. KD's foot, what did it come down to? Ten inches. So you think of it that way, but I I feel like. The stuff they did, they were showing those games on NBA TV. The stuff that they did, they those games were a lot hairier. Now you win the title and it's like, oh yeah, they won it. But you go back and you watch and those games came down to plays and moments and they made them over and over again. And Giannis's athleticism and his ability to just be a lot like what LeBron was like in the early 2010s where it's just there's this athlete who's superior to all the other athletes in this sport of athletes. And he's at the peak of his powers. He's in his prime. And I think he's just completely fearless. That's the thing I love about him. And especially when you compare it to someone like Ben Simmons who's fearful. And Giannis is just like, I just airballed a free throw. Doesn't matter. I'm going to score the next play. He doesn't care. He's, he's, he's one of the most confident superstars we've had. You know, and I just I I think there's more in there. I think there's another level for him to go. I completely agree, and it's actually one of the things. One of the reasons I think the Bucks are fascinating. To think about it is through so they entered the playoffs with like all these demons, right? Like we were up 2-0 against Toronto. Our half court offense fell apart. Complete disaster in the bubble. Miami just waxed us. Half court offense fell apart. Through then they beat my they like avenged the Miami thing, right? They almost lose game one. It's like a Chris Middleton last minute shot. They win game one. They, and then they just exercise the Miami demons. That's over. Then they get to Brooklyn and they know all the noise. Like Mike Budenholzer might get fired if they lose. You know, here are the Nets, the Nets super team. Not might. Mike. Mike Budenholzer is getting fired if they lost it. Okay, I was trying to be nice. But yes, Mike Budenholzer would not be the coach of the Bucks right now if they had lost that series to Brooklyn. I'm very, very confident in that. And then they get in that series. Then like James Harden is injured instantly, right? It changes the whole series. 
And then through five games, I remember talking about this on the jump. I wrote about it like the Bucks played offense for a lot of those first five games, even the two they won in Milwaukee, as if they just were so deep in their own heads that they were overthinking everything to the point that it almost seemed they were not thinking at all. Like they would ignore really good mismatches. They would have these stupid pointless screens that all they did was allow the Nets to switch into better matchups. It's like they had no idea what they were doing through five games. And then Durant has that like avalanche, that legendary avalanche in game five where he plays every second. They win the game. The Bucks. Giannis drops the ball. Remember at the end of game five in Brooklyn, Giannis drops the entry pass out of bounds or whatever. And it just felt like here go the Bucks again, just kind of choking. And then they Squeak out those last two wins. Giannis has an incredible playoffs. They beat the Hawks, who are ahead of schedule, right? Like, no one expected the Hawks to be there. They beat the Suns, who are, whether you want to call ahead of schedule, the recipient of some injury-related breaks, a surprise. The Suns are a surprise. They won the first two games in the series, though, and then it was a Chris Paul coronation, and everybody thought the Bucks were done, and they were lucky to get by Brooklyn. And what they did those next four games, I think, really matter. I... I completely agree. And this is why I wrote today and we can talk about it. Like I, when you watch a team that's so deep in its own head and maybe they got some breaks, maybe they didn't, but they crawl their way out of it and they finish on this emphatic crescendo of, Oh, we're bigger, badder, and stronger than you. We can get to the rim. DeAndre Ayton, you can't guard me. I'm Giannis. Like, I'll figure you out by the end. I'm hitting my free throws. My floater looks confident. My jump hook looks – they just had the air. And you and I are different the way we cover the NBA. I, I sound – I'm more analytical. You get into the more emotional stuff. But I'm with you on this. Like, they have the air of a team that just, like, shed all of these demons and, like, burst through the wall and are ready to come out this season – they don't have to put their pedal to the metal, but they're ready to come out this season like free, confident, like let's show you how good we are. We can absolutely repeat. Like they have that air about them. Well, and the thing with Giannis, and it's such an important point that I think people are just glossing over. Like on FanDuel, the Bucks are plus 360 to win the title and the Nets are plus 105. I think that's ridiculous. I think they should have the same odds. What changed in those last two rounds and especially like the last three games of the Brooklyn series and then the six Suns, really the last four Suns games too. Giannis, it's a little similar to what happened with LeBron in that game six Boston and then going through the OKC series where he was doing it. He he knew what he could do, but there was when the stakes got to a certain level, he changed how he played just a little bit. He was in his own head a little bit. You could see him like he couldn't totally solve problems the way that we eventually saw with LeBron. I just felt like Giannis figured it out. And I know that's like the most generic thing to say, but if you wrote a 10,000 word piece for ESPN next week about here's what Giannis figured out, I think that'd be a pretty easy piece to write. He figured out angles. He figured out, it's weird to say this, but like I am just a better athlete than everyone else in the league that I'm overpowering. I am Shaq in 2000. I can get to the rim anytime I want. In transition, nobody can stay in front of me. And if I miss a free throw or I miss a three-pointer or I miss some five-foot jump hook, I'm fine. Next play, I'm going to get it. And then I can do so many things. I mean, now I sound like QB Brown. I'm talking uh, third person. Um, I can do so many things that affect the game. And that was the beautiful thing about those last four Suns games. Like He did so many different things. In that series, I just think people are sleeping on how special it is. I was doing my top 75 for the NBA thing and I actually ranked the players. I have Giannis in the like top 25 now, ever. 
I really you think he's there. You rank them? I didn't have the heart to rank them. I, just I like, did it. Well, it helped me with the process. But I, right. to me, Giannis is he's right there with Barkley and Malone and Dirk and Dr. J. He's a little under because you know he could get hurt tomorrow. He wouldn't have the same career. But I think talent wise, like it's clear he's going to head toward being a top fifteen guy. That's just who he is. Well, one of the reasons you mentioned is like everyone always wants like is Giannis like Shaq is Gian- well Giannis needs to have a more of a face up game like Durant is Giannis Anthony Davis what is Giannis the cool thing about this playoff run and one of the things we're getting at is it wasn't just that he looked more comfortable doing X Y and Z it's that he kind of leaned into okay for our offense to work for me for Chris Middleton for Drew Holiday for our shooters. I've got to set more screens than I've ever set before. I got to set a ton of balls. I got to kind of be our Anthony Davis sometimes, but sometimes I'm going to be old Giannis bulldozing to the basket when it suits me. Sometimes we're just going to rampage in transitions. We're the best transition team in the league and I can lead those. I'm just going to become this amalgam of different stuff, but direct my game a little bit more in this way that maybe was not the way I envisioned it going. I didn't envision you know, I'm, now I'm talking about like QB Brown too. I didn't envision myself setting 35 ball screens a game if we needed to, because that's not what star ball handlers do. But if that's what I got to do, if that helps Chris, if that helps Drew, if that helps our team, I'll do that. And I'll do all this other stuff. And in the process, I'll just become this amalgam of so many different star players that I'm now just my own guy. I'm just Giannis. There's never been anyone like me. Yeah, he's Giannis. And that's the key point. And I do think Look, somebody might be able to debunk this by going through every possession he took in the last two years. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. They changed the angles starting really midway through that Brooklyn series with him. Where, but it was always like he was always going forward. They always wanted him going forward, forward, forward. And they did something midway through that Brooklyn series that they kept going the rest of the Phoenix series of they were like these 45-degree angle things to the basket, right? On the left side or the right side where either he faced up or he tried to really back the guy down because it, it was almost like he realized the thing that we had been seeing for a few years. If you can back your guy down and then you roll into the lane with your little jump hook or you do a drop step, you're seven feet tall, you have longer arms than anybody else, and you're a better athlete than anybody else, and you're just going to be able to get to the rim however you want. And worst case scenario, you're going to have a little four-foot jump hook. I do feel like the light bulb went off for him and we've seen it happen. We've seen it happen with other great players and even like 2006 Nowitzki when he just blowtorched the entire Western conference heading into that finals. And it was like, he figured it out. The game slowed down for him. He really started to figure out that foul line stuff and you could just see him go up a level. I really feel like that happened with Giannis and I don't think he gets enough credit for it. Durant was out of his mind in game five and game seven. And Giannis went toe to toe with them. He really did. And Duran is one of the best 10 players ever. So he, the fact that people are just dismissing this and they're like, Oh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn's got and the Brooklyn's a soap opera. Brooklyn's all my children. I mean, in Philly and Brooklyn, we have two soap operas that you could be showing in the, on the mornings on CBS. Um, I just feel like the soap opera element of the Brooklyn season has to be factored in. If you're calling them the favorite, we haven't seen them have a normal month. In a year and a half, two and a half think, years, dating back to the last coach. Do you think when Sean Marks goes to bed at night, the next GM, you know, just watch, maybe he's watches the Great British Bake Off to, to have it to just cool down from the day, goes into bed at midnight, head hits the pillow, can't sleep, just all this stuff like, is Kyrie going to get vaccinated? What's James up to off the floor? Right. Do, you ever, do you ever think he thinks to himself, man, it was so fun when we were 
like a frisky 42 win team. Kenny Atkinson was like getting up at four in the morning, riding the, riding the exercise bike, dying, diagramming plays for D'Angelo Russell. Like Jared Allen was building computers and we didn't know what he was going to be. And Karis LeVert, like, man, that was so fun. Like, yeah, we're winning and we're the favorites, but do you ever think in an honest moment, he's like, man, that was a, that was a lot of fun. Well, it's like the Brad Stevens mid 2010 Celtics, right? That was a more fun team than the team he had. And eventually had a coach that was completely loaded and had five potential all stars. I think with Brooklyn, I think Sean Marks wakes up in the morning. I, I don't know what you do in the morning, but some people they wake up and they immediately look at their phone to see what they missed. Yes, I'm more of a I'll go take my morning pee. I'll take a vitamin C. I'll put my glasses on. I'll walk downstairs. I'll make the coffee. And then I'll look, I'll look at my phone, I'll ease into it. I think Sean Marks is definitely a, I wake up, I look at the phone with a pit in my stomach, hoping nothing's happened over the last <laughs> seven hours since I fell asleep. I think that's that job. Um, from everything I've heard, I'm sure you've heard the same stuff, like Harden's the leader of that team, weirdly. I think people think KD is, but I think the personality of Harden is kind of the driving force. I think it hurt them last year. And that's one of the reasons I think they can survive a Kyrie thing. They have Patty Mills on their team. You know, it's like, oh my God, we're going to go with Kyrie. They'll be fine. They're going to be really good. But the question is, is this just going to be the soap opera for nine more months? And if it I, is, what are the ramifications? I absolutely think they can win it without Kyrie. I don't, I don't think they're like clear favorites as they are with him. But like you put Harden, D Durant may be the best player in the league. Is he number one for you currently in the NBA or did Giannis surpass him? Or is it still LeBron for you? Doesn't no, matter. no, it's, it doesn't it's, really matter. It's 1A, 1B, Durant, Giannis. I think regular season, Durant, I, th I thought he didn't really play that hard defensively last season. I think even he might admit that. You know, I think Giannis is a better, reliable two-way guy. They're 1A, 1B. I think we'll find out this year. I think when we go to the Eastern Conference Finals, if hopefully they can at least have two equal squads we'll find out it'll be the title for who the best player in the league is lebron lebron it's year 19 like if you're saying lebron's the best player in the league you're that's a past performance thing you're not actually watching well he might have been on course for mvp last year before he got injured but that was a media narrative thing i don't think do, do people really feel like he's the best two-way player in the league last year i think you got to factor in like all the things you can do as a player and all the way you know the showing up night after night on both ends, the tone you set. I don't know. I don't, I, I think he's one of the best 10 players. I wouldn't say he's in the top two. I think that would be crazy to think he's still in like the Giannis Durant level. I don't see it. You said problem solving. That's, that's what he's got above these guys still is he can look at the defense, look at his team and figure out possession by possession, how to beat you with sort of an unmatched combination of IQ, size, vision, ability to make every pass on the floor. Um, at, we'll, we'll see. We could talk. I mean, he's is got- he, a, Is he better at that than Harden? I, I do think he's a better passer. I think Harden's a great and underrated passer. But I think LeBron is a better playmaker passer than Harden. It's close. But, and I think he can do it from more varied angles maybe than Harden can out of the post and stuff like that. There was, some real, there was some real statistical- kind of subtle atrophy with LeBron's game last year. Right? I mean, he doesn't get to the free throw line like he like he used to. I don't think he's nearly as good of a three-point shooter as people seem to think he is. And, you know, I think he's 
one of the best players in the league. But I think Durant and Giannis, if I'm trying to win a title, like could, put it this way, could he have done what Durant did on that Brooklyn team last year? I don't think so. In that, in that when everybody got hurt, could he have carried them the way Durant did? I don't think so. Could he have done what Giannis did in those last two and a half rounds? I don't think so. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Back to the Nets. I know you're, you're a Joe Harris skeptic, and that's fine. We can talk about that. He, he no, no. Not... It's just like show up in a playoff series, uh, he, Joe Harris. Show, I like Joe up, Harris. Just show, show up for a big playoff big series. I'm not asking for much. Harden, KD, and Joe Harris, who more or less is one, let's just say one of the five best three-point shooters alive today. As you long start, as the game doesn't matter. You said that. I didn't. You have those three on the floor. You can play pretty much any combination of two remaining nets with them, and your offense should be fine. You can figure out, you know, do you just go all offense and put Patty Mills and Blake Griffin there? Uh, and, you know, Blake's the five, Patty's the point guard. Do you try and throw in a James Johnson for defense or a Bruce Brown for mm -hmm. defense? But those three guys give you such a luxury to choose the other two players. And they're so dynamic offensively in completely different and complementary ways that I do think that Nets team can still win the title. The Kyrie thing matters, obviously, for your margin of error. Like somebody gets hurt, you still have two stars instead of one, whatever. I will say this. And from a ceiling, and a ceiling standpoint. And but if all three of those guys are humming, it's ridiculous. I, I think if when I mean you you watched the poor Celtics now without Jalen Brown and all that had to play that team in the first round of the playoffs, and it was like, what are what are we even doing here? Like it's yeah. just nothing. It's just nothing. The, the Celtics could have had six guys. The Celtics could have played Semi Ojale as the sixth guy on the floor, <laughs> and they would not have been able to guard those three guys. Kyrie Irving had a 50-40-90 season last year. I put him on All NBA. I think you did too, right? No, I, I maybe you didn't. I don't think I could get there. And if I did, I blocked it out of my mind. I <laughs> I still I still really care about um impact on a team beyond stats. Is he the most whether... hated athlete in Boston right now? Who's I I don't follow the other sports well enough to know that if there's another yeah, villain. Hate hate's a strong word. I it certainly didn't go well. I don't I don't think he's gonna win a popularity contest. And then he stepped on the court. All that stuff. I still like A Rod was doing the Red Sox Yankee game yesterday, and A Rod was like, "I love coming to Boston." It's like I still feel like A Rod probably has to be in that conversation. For it was just fun to, you know, go against him. But now with the Kyrie thing, you know, this is one of the topics for the league. Like these anti-vax guys when they're in these arenas, what's the reception going to be for some of them? You know, do they become like borderline villains for some people? This has become so politicized. 
is Bradley Beal, let's say he gets introduced in some random game, does he does he get booed? Is it going to be something he's asked in every arena? Is you know I, that's the part of the season that I'm not looking forward to, and I, I think I think the league waited a week too long to kind of intervene on something that clearly was going to become a major, major, major issue. And now it's kind of resolving itself, but the cat's out of the bag a little bit. So we were texting a little bit last night during the Red Sox-Yankees game about NBA rivalries, and is there any rivalry at at this level? And part of the reason, look, leave aside, I'm going to be clear, leave aside the medical, ethical, moral questions, whatever you have about vaccination, right? Like I got vaccinated right away. Everyone in my family got vaccinated right away. I think it's obvious where I would stand on this issue. Leave all that aside. As a basketball fan, just purely siloing the basketball fan, Nets Bucks this season in particular was poised to be like almost a perfect rivalry. They met in a bloodbath playoff series last year. Their yeah. glitz and glamour and high draft picks on one side, grit and mid lottery, low, low first round, second round picks on the other side. Uh, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, big city, Midwest, big city, coastal, small city, Midwest. The whole thing, and both of them, I think we talked about how Milwaukee is primed for this kind of FU season. I think Brooklyn was primed for the same kind of FU season because those three stars are like, look, all everyone does is make fun of us for different reasons. We barely got to play last year together at all and show you all what we could do. And when we did, we were basically an avalanche of points for which people had no answer. Watch what we can do for 82 games. I just thought it was just – and it was going to crescendo into like 260 win seasons if they cared – March through the playoffs, bloodbath c- confrontation in the conference finals. I hope we still get to see that because I think and and the reason why we let off this podcast with Semi Ojale and why he's in my column is without PJ Tucker. I agree with you. I, I thought his impact on the Bucks was slightly overrated last year. He's a total zero on offense. Dude, talk about his box outs. Great, nobody boxes out better. It's like really that's Off- that's your off- offensive rebounding too uh, against yeah. Trey Young when they tried to hide Trey Young on him, but. But he did answer the question of who on Milwaukee is guarding Kevin Durant. And without him, what's the answer to that question? Well, you could argue nobody guarded Kevin Durant last year because he torched them in the, someone to, has, in the games that someone matter. Someone has yeah. to do it and make him tired. Who is it going yeah. to be? Is it Drew Holiday who's given up six inches? And then if it's not Drew Holiday, if it is Drew Holiday, who's guarding Harden? Is it Giannis? I don't know who it is. I think that I think that that's why the Kyrie absence matters because it's easier for the Bucks to answer those questions right. if they don't have a third all-star sitting over there that they have to worry about. I don't think many teams have a guy who can guard Kevin Durant. I can't, uh, we, no. There's probably four guys in the league. And the P.J. Tucker got a lot of run because he had one good defensive game, but Durant was torching him in that series. I mean, well, I, I just think Durant is the greatest scoring forward of all time. I like, that you, I like that you just, without even qualifying it, without elaborating on it, just declared him he's one of the 10 best players of all time. Because I, I actually agree. And, you know, I make I, my list every year. I, I, To me, him versus Kobe now for the nine spot is a real argument. Durant, but he's got to win one on his own as the best guy before that conversation can happen. And that Brooklyn counts if they're all this is his team. He's the alpha dog of this team, the number one. He is the best yeah. player on the team. He's the, I don't think there's any question about that, but they're so loaded. I think he gets shortchanged for 2017 because now, especially from LeBron, whose fan base is like Beyonce esque, where it's like LeBron never had help in Cleveland. And it's like that 2017 Cavs team was great. It was one of, we've talked about this. That was one of the best offensive teams of the last 25 years. 
It had the most expensive roster in the league. It was loaded with high lottery picks. They had Kyrie Irving in his prime. They had Kevin Love when he was still good. They had LeBron still in his prime. And a bunch of role guys. And that was a really good team. And it, the Warriors, you know, Draymond peaked in 2016, I think, as a player, as an asset. Clay, uh, KD and Curry are obviously incredible. And Clay is one of the great third, fourth bananas we've had on a title team just for he knows exactly who he is. But it's not like they were like this crazy, insane 10 guys deep. Like their bench was Sean Livingston and David West. Um, and it was, you know, the Cavs, if you watch those games, if you watch them really carefully, the Cavs were really good and went toe to toe yep. and the Warriors are better. So I don't know. I don't know why Durant, that just doesn't count for him anymore, I guess, because he... Sign with them that year. But you asked me about NBA rivalries. Yeah, let's Because I was texting that. you yesterday let's, about... Let's well, do that, that now. Rapid yeah. fire. Let's, let's get a few going. What, what, you said let's, let's try to figure out some new rivalries that have a chance to be real and lasting, which is hard in this age of... The, there's just so much player movement. But is there well, any... I texted you. I texted you last night, and I was like, "This Red Sox Yankees thing—it's so hard to explain to people who don't care for either team." But it's like this is just a blood feud. It's always going to be there. There's a there's ten decades of history with it at this point, and it, it, I said to you, basketball has nothing like it. And you said, "Not even Celtics Lakers." I'm like, "Sure," but it's just like the Celtics and Lakers, they haven't played in a final since 2010, right? They haven't really had a meaningful game in 11 years. And before 2010, it wasn't, it was the mid eighties, really the last time there was a couple fun Paul Pierce, Antoine games, but for the most part, the Celtics real rival was Philly. And if you go through history with Russell and Wilt and Cowens in 77 against Dr. J and Cowens and Havlicek against him. And then you go into the 80s, from 80 to 85, the Sixers Celtics was the league's defining rivalry. And they played in the playoffs almost every year. There was Doc versus Bird. There were fights. It was, it was amazing. Um, there's nothing like that now. And you asked about the new rivalries. I would say Lakers Warriors would be number one, and that's not even a rivalry. Those teams haven't played one meaningful game against each other, but that's probably the matchup with Kyrie out. I would look forward to Lakers Warriors over Bucks Nets. Would you have which? What would you have between those two? Bucks Nets, uh, although over Lakers Warriors. Well, Lakers Warriors, despite the play-in game last year, just doesn't feel like a rivalry, but it does have the LeBron Steph carryover from the four straight finals or or whatever. so, yeah, and you have that. There's some fun Westbrook stuff with that. There's just an incredible Westbrook. amount of star power. There's Clay against the Lakers. There's Draymond and and Clutch and LeBron, and they work together off the court. But Draymond also punched him in the balls. So it's like the individual players kind of have rivalries, and we just haven't seen it in the team construct. But I think they're both in the West. They're both in the same division, and you have the Curry LeBron thing kind of lingering over it. So I think that's my favorite one. So this this discussion comes up a lot when people start discussing the the possibility of just seeding the playoff teams one to sixteen, regardless of or taking the sixteen best records, regardless of conference and see. And there's always this argument: well, we won't get Pistons Bulls uh, from the '80s and '90s. We won't get Celtics Sixers. We won't get Heat Knicks. We won't get the the teams that face each other like five times in a row, and someone has to get over the hump. I just feel like even within conferences, we're getting less of that now because the same cast of characters, the, the cast of characters just changes so much on every team that it's like, it's not like the same Pacers team is playing the same Knicks team 
for a half decade. We just don't see that anymore. But I do have, I do like, I, like I was going to make that point too. I think player empowerment has ruined rivalries because well, there's too much, there's too much play. No, there's just too much player movement. We, you can't have Indiana against the Knicks for six straight years because nowadays Reggie Miller would have maybe switched teams in 1997. And then that rivalry's dead or Patrick Ewing would have. And now it's, Something well, for else. better or worse, like I'm generally pro player empowerment, but there are sort of these trickle down. Like I would love, like Knicks Hawks seems poised after the Trey Young shutting up the MSG crowd and just how how they, the Hawks and Trey Young leaned so far into the villain role. And Clint Capella was like, "We're going to send them on vacation," and they did send them on vacation. But it's like, who are they going to play a meaningful game against each other again? I don't know. Is that if they don't meet in the playoffs this year? All of a sudden. The teams are going to look like hugely different in two years. Who knows who's on the Knicks in two years? Who knows which of those Hawks guys that they can't pay is now on a different team? It's like, oh, a little bit of the steam got taken out of this. But that was one on my list. Well, like think about mid-2000s. Detroit and Indiana was a really awesome rivalry for, what, a year and a half? Then the Artest Melee happened. It was just dead. I think it's really hard to keep these going. And the, the thing that really makes rivalry is just history. And unless the franchises have a real history of playing over the years and then can keep good guys at the same time, then I I just think it's so much harder to have. Football, it's easy. It's like the Cowboys hate the Giants. Giants hate the Cowboys. Both of them hate the Eagles. Like, it's just these over and over things. Um, But even in football, like the Patriots have never had the same rival for more than like six, seven years. It was the Colts. Then it became the Giants. Then it was the Ravens. Like it kind of moves. You mentioned Atlanta. I had I had six rivalries that I guess short term rivalries we call them. Is that the right word? Sure. Because who knows? It might not last for two three years. My list was Lakers, Golden State, Milwaukee, Brooklyn. I think are the top two. And then the next four I had were Boston, Atlanta, who have no rivalry at all. There's nothing there yet, but they're kind of. They're, they're, they're fighting for that three seed this year. They both have young guys. There's some history of Celtics Hawks stuff over the years. There's been some fun kind of moments with those two franchises against each other. And it's kind of poised with the pieces where I think that could be a good one. I don't think the Knicks are going to be good enough to sustain a rivalry, but it'll be fun every time Trey goes to New York. And then the only other, other two I had was Suns Clippers because of the Chris Paul piece and maybe... And then Denver-Portland just because they played good games, Denver, right, Portland's the last couple of years. That's it. I don't really have any other ones. Celtics-Hawks gives you, gives you an excuse to play Zaza on the Jumbotron. Say, Nothing easy. <laughs> Nothing easy. <laughs> I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you two that came to mind. I thought before Jamal Murray got hurt, mm. that Nuggets-Clippers, given what happened in the bubble – had a chance, like both of these teams rising at the same time. I, if they were fully healthy, I might rank them one, two in the West right now, even. Um, I thought that had a like, really interesting matchup. They got Aaron Gordon specifically to guard Kawhi Leonard, like all the demons from the bubble. I thought that was shaping up to be one. And I'm unreasonably excited for the Charlotte Hornets. Can we find mm. Charlotte a rival? Who could be a rival to Charlotte? Uh, my Miami. Miami could be a rival. Miami's maybe so, they're like polar opposite. Miami's like old and slug sluggish and really good, but and Charlotte's like a, a young and bound. Maybe that's maybe that makes for a good rivalry. South I rivalry. I think I don't want to jinx it, but Boston Philly at least has potential. We don't know how the Simmons thing's gonna play out, but 
since Embiid came to Philly, there's been some good Boston Philly games. Now Horford's on the Sixers. You have the whole thing where they could have drafted Tatum. So there's there's some links, and then you have the whole the background of going back to Wilt and Russell and how many. It Great might games. be the be- it might be the best one. They did have they have have had good recent play. Like I was on press row when the Celtics were up 3-0. Were they up 3-0 against Philly? The one the confetti game in Philly when Marcus Morris went up to Joel Embiid right in his face and they were talking. He just played flash 3-0 right in his face. Yeah. I was like, oh man, are these guys gonna fight right in front of me? I kind of would right. like to see that. I think one of the things with the rivalry, and this is how you know we don't really have it in basketball. Like Red Sox Yankees, we can head into the game right before the opening pitch, and ESPN can run a montage of Red Sox Yankees stuff, and you can pull stuff from every single decade. Right? They had a huge bench crew and brawl in '76, a seven-day playoff game. They have Ricky Henderson in the '80s and the Red Sox knocking them out. You can go through every decade. There's something with with the stuff now. Like the best one for like the montage would be Golden State Lakers. But it would be all the guys in different uniforms. You know, you would be showing like Golden State Cavs and you'd be showing um, Curry lighting up the Lakers. And maybe you'd even bring in some Kobe versus the Warriors footage and stuff like that. But it wouldn't be anything that's happened yet. But that's that's going to be the most fun rivalry this year, I think, more than Milwaukee-Brooklyn. I want to speak this one into existence and I want to call it the Western Conference Get Your Together rivalry. I would love a Pelicans Wolves Zion cat <laughs> facing off over and over again in the playoffs rivalry. But like, why would I have any faith in either of those franchises to get their together? Why? Well, you know, that's a, that's a good thought. You know what, what is kind of an RIP rivalry and it's sad. We should probably pour a 40 out for it. Spurs Mavs was really great oh, for great rivalry. What? 20 plus years. Oh, and fantastic. there's still a lot of bitterness on both sides. And it even can kind of go back to the eighties a little bit. That one's good, but it's just until the Spurs, there's any signs of life from them again. And then I do think Suns Lakers, there's some good history there as like the Lakers as kind of the little brother who just got the crap kicked out of them by the Lakers all the time. And Suns. now you have Chris and I, Suns. I mean, um, and uh, Chris and LeBron and that relationship. And now Carmelo's on the Lakers and all that stuff. So that could be a fun one too. I think our bigger point here is that I think there will be some good rivalries this year. The Hawks are like, they're just a kid on the street corner wait, waiting to get in a fight with somebody. Like Trey Young is like, who? Trey Young loved the MSG thing. He's like, who else? Who's next? Can I go into Boston and do that? What are, what are the other venues that I could have everybody booing me as I make threes? Let's, and that well, team has swagger and I just... I think they're you know, legit. I think too. they're legit. I think they're they're my pick for third in the East this year. The top six in the East to me, and you, yep. we can start by saying if you disagree or not. Brooklyn, Milwaukee at the top. Then one A, one B, right? Yeah, Brooklyn, have, Milwaukee, one A, one B in some order. Yeah. So then, if you ask me to pick the next four, i.e., who escapes the play-in, who's above the play-in, I'm going Atlanta in some order. Atlanta, Boston, Miami, Philly. TBD on what happens with Simmons, obviously, but those are the next four teams in the East to me. So if you disagree with that, tell me. If you don't disagree with that, who of those teams is at greatest risk for we're in the last week of the season? It's like, oh my God, that team's eighth, or they may they may be in the play-in tournament. Which which of those teams is at gravest risk of that? So I had Milwaukee and, Bo- and Brooklyn. I have Boston, not as a homer pick just like a hair over Atlanta, just because I want to see the, I want to see the Cam Reddish 
all these guys, they had this great moment. We've seen this happen sometimes in basketball where the team has kind of the unexpected better than we thought they were moment. And then the next year it gets a little rocky. Everybody's like, ah, oh. you know, little tiny bit of disease in me. I'm interested to see if Trey is going to be the same kind of facilitator that he was when they were really humming in the playoffs. So I think it's 3A, 3B for those two. Boston, I think both of them have depth, which are you need with, with COVID. Then Philly, Miami, I agree, are the next two. I think Philly's the riskiest for the plan because let's say the Simmons thing drags on. They don't have a trade for him. So now they're in a situation where if Embiid has one of his, he's out for four weeks injuries, all of a sudden, instead of being 52 and 30, now you're looking at 44 and 38. 45 and 37, which this year, if one of these other teams is is a little better than we thought, could be dangerous for them. So I, I think they're my biggest risk. What do you have? It's a boring answer, but it's Philly. And yeah. I see a lot of analysis about and I, and I think Miami is sneakily at risk of being a much worse regular season Me team than, than people think. I think in the playoffs, they're going to be a giant pain in the ass if they can just get out of the play-in or not be in the play-in. Tyler here, yeah. 10 more pounds of muscle. Everyone's got the lean muscle. Lean, lean muscle. The key is the lean muscle. I don't know what fat muscle is, but lean muscle is what you want. He's um, never been in shape like this. Um, but ever the analysis of Philly is like, well, they got like Maxie's ready and Shake Milton's ready and Corkmaz, and they drafted this Jaden Springer kid. I'm like, that's all cool. Like, I like Tyrese Maxie. He showed up in the playoffs when they really needed him against Atlanta and and all of that. Like over a full season, just having Ben Simmons go from borderline all NBA player, borderline defensive player of the year to zero. And we're replacing him with a second year guy, Shake Milton, who like sometimes isn't even in the rotation uh, rookies Furk on Korkmaz. Like I, I think people are underestimating, particularly as you said, Embiid misses 15 or 20 games every year. I think people are underestimating the potential for like, Oh my God, Philly's 500 after 30 games. Like they're, they're kind of in trouble. Also, the defensive piece of this. The reason this team was able to get the one seed last year over everything else, Embiid was great the first half of the year. They were just, they could really play great stretches of defense. And if you're just judging by who is who are the teams right now that can play the best eight-minute stretch of defense, they were always in the conversation that stats backed it up. If you're just going to remove Simmons from that, who I think was one of the three, two or three best defensive players in the league last year, you're just going to take him out. You're a completely different team. You are. Now you're playing five away more. Now he's got to make a couple open shots. Now I'm relying on Tyrese Maxey to actually make plays. I should I, I should have mentioned Thibault, um, who is maybe the best perimeter defender in the NBA. I mean, the guy is just – he's a different species. We traded player. him. We traded him so we could move you're backwards. Still, you're still mad about that? I'm still mad. I, I'm going to commission a documentary about the 2019 summer. <laughs> Still, um, still mad about it, but yeah, I think right. I think we see the Philly thing the same way. There's a lot of ceiling basement stuff with them. Okay, so the follow up then is, if one of those teams is in danger, or more, one or more of those teams is in danger of falling into the play-in race, who's who's popping up into the top six, or who's the biggest threat below them in our preseason rankings to pop into the top six? Can I tell you who I'm rooting for? Because the nominees are Indy, the Knicks, I know, Charlotte. I know. I know here. Well, Chicago, I don't know. Chicago, Toronto. I thought you were going to say you're rooting for Cleveland to just win 20 more games than expected because I know you're on the Cleveland Cavs bandwagon this year. But I, they're, they're they're a stealth Simmons contender. I don't think it's stealth. 
I think they're. Well, why do you not buy out Kevin Love? Because you're keeping his contract in case you can get Ben Simmons. So they they must think they have a chance. I am looking forward to. Um, I like Kevin Love as a person, and I think he was an underrated player in his prime. So I don't mean this as snarkly as it's going to come out. I don't know that anyone has thrown better on-court tantrums in the last 20 years than Kevin Love. Just absolutely. Yeah. Remember he got the three-second violation on purpose? It was in Philadelphia. He just stood in the lane for like nine seconds, raised his hand, and was like, dude, these dudes aren't passing to me, so I'm just going to f***ing stand here until you call a three-second violation. And then in Toronto last year when he batted the inbounds pass out of bounds, just um, I can't wait to the next one. He's definitely a diva. I remember I wrote about this for Grantland. I went to a Minnesota Clippers game when the last shot of the game, he was wide open. I think it was Rubio went flying in and didn't give him the ball. And he was in the ready for the pass shooting motion. And the play went out of bounds, stopped, and it was a timeout. And he just stayed in the motion for three extra seconds just to be an asshole. Now, and lots it was of like, guys, oh, you're, oh, you're one of those guys. Okay. Lots of guys do that. Lots of guys do that. If you, if you see, they're counting on no one's watching because they're away from the ball, and all fans do is watch the ball, understandably so. Lots of guys do that. Some of them even do it as the game is continuing. It's my, it might be my favorite passive aggressive NBA thing is holding the I'm open is the pass coming to me pose with your palms facing out. I love it. Okay. LeBron, so LeBron has done a few of those, I especially think that one weird Lakers season with the young guys. Anyway, I think you're rooting for, Oh, come on. This is easy. Charlotte, Charlotte. Yeah. It's gotta be Charlotte. It's so much fun. If Charlotte is this frisky seven seed. Oh my God. Charlotte's 30 and 20. What happened? I do think they're going to miss my guy, Monk. It kills me that he's on the Lakers, my least favorite team. But uh, year two LaMelo, we've seen the year two jumps just in general. I like some of the quotes coming out of them. I like PJ Washington had a crazy quote lately. It was like this irrational confidence, something like people are sleeping on us. And he wasn't sleeping for the playoffs. I think he meant like they're sleeping on us. Like we should be mentioned with Milwaukee and Brooklyn was the animation. Um, but I, I just, they've had a lot, they have some talent, you know, and Hayward got hurt last year. Before he got hurt, I really liked watching them. Lamel's going to be much better this year. And uh, I don't know. I have my eye on them. Indiana's a mess. I don't know what to make of that team. I never know what to make of Indiana. I'm with you on Charlotte, by the way. I'm, I'm higher on Charlotte than consensus. I just, I said today, I smell something. I smell something yeah, brewing. Me too. It, I, I just, Something's if, there. If Hayward can stay healthy, which I feel like we've been saying for five years, if Hayward can stay healthy, I don't know how they're going to be a good defensive team because they're so small. But if they just get all their wings like Ubre and Hayward, if they're all healthy, I, I just kind of I kind of smell something. I let I think they have an identity. They're leaning into it. They seem to like each other. I would they wouldn't be my pick to answer this question, but I have them like above Washington, even Indiana, because I, I just the injuries and everything there I, is crazy. Toronto, all that. I have them above those teams. But who's your answer to this actual question? Yeah, Charlotte's their over under for wins is 37 and a half, which seems way, way, way too low. I look, Charlotte actually is the answer to my question to this question. Oh, good. Yeah, I like their team. I thought the even like the Plumley thing. I thought was smart. That's like the type of that was, guy. That was a good trade for them. It was a better version of the type of guy that they needed. They kind of sneakily got Ubre. They have a bench. They have Ish Smith, Ubre, Bridges, Booknight. If he does anything, if he can be any kind of a heat check guy or replace the Monk thing, I like their team because everybody has Chicago penciled into this. And I, I have some real concerns about Chicago. I, I have concerns about 
Levine versus DeRozan at crunch time. I have concerns about a defense that I think is just going to be absolutely abysmal, maybe even worse than uh, than Charlotte. Um, and I, I just the Zach Levine contract year thing. I think that's concerning. You know, like th- th- is that going to be settled? What's going to happen? If are they going to panic trade him in January if they feel like he's going to leave? I don't know. Do you have any intel on that? I think, I think. My best guess would be Zach Levine is pretty confident he's got the bag waiting for him at the end of the season for the Bulls. Mm. Well, especially because they're going to lose their first round pick with this tampering thing. I didn't. I I didn't say that. You did. I don't know what's well, going to happen. I, I think that's hearing, how it's going to play out. There's been rumors about this for two months, and nothing ever happens. And that seems like a very out of step with past punishments. Um, it's really tough to announce the sign and trade two minutes after the, the deadline to start talking to players. I don't know. I, I don't know how you pull that one off. I'll react to that if and when it happens. So you'll okay, never. Good. You'll, you'll I love. Just, I, went, I've known you for ten years. This is why I called you Spock back in the day. Like you're just you, you're just disciplined. So I you're, think you're Chicago, much smarter than I am. I think Chicago. I get. It. I I'm so torn on the Bulls because everything you just said, like Levine has gotten better as a defender. He's still below average. Vooch is below average. DeRozan is absolutely horrific. Uh, Pat Williams is already injured, and we'll see when he comes back. He's so that was the thing. So we, that was the guy we were counting on here, right? Because I really like Pat, Pat Williams. Big fan. But he, he's already starting hurt. Always a bad sign for year two. But he was the guy they needed to basically guard every good player on every other team. So if Lon- he's not going to do it, who's doing it? Lonzo is a good defensive player. Caruso is a good defensive player. The rest of their bench is a just big giant question mark and depth. Any team that doesn't have depth in the regular season makes me nervous because someone is getting hurt. Everyone's like, well, if we stay healthy, you're not going to stay healthy. Your basic assumption should be one of my five best players is going to miss 20 games or two of them. That's just what happens. But I do. That's kind of the case for the Knicks, right? The Knicks have like weird depth. Well, like they're. 11th guy and it's like all right so so you have spoiled my pick i can't believe i'm saying this but my pick to sneak into the top six if and when one of these teams fall out is the team that when i call executives around the league and you coaches around the league you know i do this before every season and i ask them give me a team that you're higher on than consensus way lower Mm. on than consensus or someone that you're just curious about you find yourself thinking about maybe the second most common answer has been I think the Knicks were a fluke last year, some version of that. I don't think, I don't even think it matters if the Knicks were a fluke last year because their team is massively different than the one that could not score any points against the Atlanta Hawks. I think the Kemba Fournier signings are a big deal. I I think, and and the depth and look, everyone looks Kemba's a a liability on defense. Fournier is just so, so at defense on at best. That team is going to be a t- and like oh yes, yeah, so Nick's opponents shot the worst from three in the whole league. That will never duplicate itself. Maybe not. I'd bet on that team being a top ten defense as long as Tibbs is there and they're trying to win. I think the Knicks are going to be good this year, and they would be. I think th- if you assume that one of those top six is just going to hit so many roadblocks, they fall out. I think the Knicks are going. I think the Knicks are in the top six. That's my pick. I like it. I respect it. I respectfully disagree. And Bulls would be number two for me. The Bulls are sitting. I'm a little higher on the Bulls than you are. Bulls would be my second pick, and then Charlotte, I think, would be my third. I think the Knicks are probably the safest of those three. I thought Kemba was. Think just, about what you just said. The Knicks are the safest. Of well, because they had they're the in, deepest in, in the year of our basketball lords, 2021. I know the well, Knicks. They certainly spent enough money. Kemba looked awful last year. 
I any Celtics fan who watched that team, and I'm one of them, he he lost the battle against whoever the other team's point guard was over and over again. He couldn't guard anybody. You called him a liability on defense. He's way worse than that. He's way worse than a liability. He is whatever. What's what's a word that's worse than a liability? He 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 non, became non-entity. Just, he was the focal point for every good team's strategy heading into a game against the Celtics. It was like we we're going to hunt Kemba Walker and go after him, and that's how we're going to get our points. And then on the other side, he doesn't have the same lift anymore. Now, whether that's fixed, but I just watched him for two years. He doesn't have lift. He can't get to the rim like he used to. And his he'll have like these four for 20 games. He'll shoot four for 21. I just think he's way past his prime. And the you know the problem with some of these guys, especially in basketball, is you can look exactly the same. Like just facially and physically, you can look the same. So people assume everything's the same. And it's just, it's not. He's not the same guy that he was in Charlotte. And that's why the Celtics gave away a first round pick to get him off their team. So now it's just weird to and get Al, and get Al Horford, who Brad Stevens just can't quit Al Horford. The Celtics, yeah, love but we, that was the Sengun pick. That could be a catastrophe. The I'll tell Sengun. I, I I know I have to say the names correctly on this podcast. By the Shen-Gun. way, we talked about the Celtics, but we did not mention the Boston Celtic. I am most excited to watch this season. Who's that? Time Lord. I'm all in on Time Lord. Oh, I I can't do it. You're out. You're out. No, I'm not out. I'm not out. I'm not out. You just don't want to be tantalized. I don't want to get hurt. Yeah. Look, he, he you don't understand the experience of this dude. There'll be a three-game stretch. Well, you do understand cuz you watch basketball, but people listening, there'll be a three-game stretch where he looks like a slightly better DeAndre Ayton. And you're like, "Wow, we have a franchise center." And then he'll try to block a shot and land on a cameraman and he's out for 3 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> or he'll try to Try to follow up offensive rebound a dunk, but he'll try to jump over three guys and end up almost breaking his neck, and he's out for two weeks. The guy cannot stay on the court. Talent-wise, it's there, but he he's missing this self-protection chip of, I shouldn't do that. I might get hurt. He just doesn't have it. It's not He's completely fearless, and I just worry he can stay healthy. I don't want to talk about him anymore because I don't, I don't want you to get hurt either. Um, well, with the Knicks, one other thing with the Knicks is, is are we going to see Mitchell Robinson play 40 games in a row? I hope so. Are we going to see New Orleans Noel? Like, I, like that's the thing with them is they need those two guys. If you told me they're going to get 140 games from those two guys, I'd be like, great, they're going to go 45 and 37. But See, I think Tibbs is secret. I think Tibbs, if, if, they, if you just wiped those guys out and they were both injured out for the season, I think Tibbs would, like, close the door to his apartment when he's finally <laughs> alone by himself. And crack a smile like, I get to play Taj 48 minutes. 48 minutes <laughs> to Taj Gibson. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. 
with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Let's go to the West. I, I think this is the most interesting five-team grouping in the league, and, it, and it's these five teams. Golden State, Denver, Clippers, Mavericks, Blazers. Now, let me preface why I think those are the most five. That's the most interesting part of the league. In all three of those teams are dealing with injuries to massively important players: Jamal Murray, Kawhi Leonard, and Clay Thompson. Two of them have new coaches: Jason Kidd in Dallas, Chauncey Billups in Portland. Portland obviously has the Dame situation now. For now, in the background, I am sort of penning in the Lakers, the Jazz, and the Suns as like definitely avoiding the play-in because of their continuity in Utah and Phoenix and just LeBron and AD. I only have the Lakers and the Suns in that group, but go ahead. Okay, well, we can argue about the Jazz then. To, that, that leaves those five teams, two of them, or in your in your view, there are six with Utah, and three, two of them are going to be in the play-in tournament. I have five. I have five total. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm way less bullish on Denver and the Clippers than you are. Okay, so let's let's start right there. So the Clippers are the team I'm actually of that group I'm most worried about, and, I, and also I have the hardest time with. But why? So so give me make the case for Denver. Start with Denver. Make the case for Denver being at play and risk. Well, they're over under, at least on Fanduel, is forty seven and a half. It's pretty good. It doesn't seem like they're going to have Murray for at least the first two thirds of the season. Then we do this thing with ACLs and Achilles where it's like, he'll be back in March. It's like, Willie, if he's back, is he playing more than 20 minutes? Is he playing back to back games? What are, what am I getting back? The thing that worries me with them and sharks talked about it on my podcast yesterday is the Michael Porter. I got this potential. It's like, Oh, I know we're missing Murray. I'll take a shots. I got this. And I'm not, I'm not positive. He's there yet. Um, and in general, I just think the West is better. Um, in in a weird way, it's better and worse because there's more teams kind of around each other, but the ceiling of the teams is really the Lakers and everybody else. I don't love their bench. I mean, I'm looking at their depth chart on ESPN, ironically. Compazzo, Austin Rivers, PJ Dozier, Jamichael Green, and Jeff Green. That That's their bench that I'm looking at. I don't know. I, I, to me, I, that feels like a seven seed. Kind of think that's an okay bench, particularly if if Mike Malone, Mike Malone's a good coach and he's going to figure out. Capazzo, Capazzo's a good player. He he's is. A, Jeff Green is a really good bench player. Jamichael Green is, is Jamichael Green's still a good bench player. Jeff, this mind, is year fifteen of Jeff Green. At some point, at some point, it's going to go a little south. And why do teams would, keep? Why does he keep bouncing around? Well, I, you and him. I both like Jeff Green a little bit more, but I, I'm just saying, like, if you're judging them against the other teams. I'm a little worried about that team. I don't really feel like there's not another all-star on that team other than Joker. And then the Clippers, same thing. You just remove Kawhi, and everybody's like, well, Kawhi will be back in March. It's like, really? Kawhi coming off an injury? We're, we're just penciling him in? And then you look at the rest of the Clippers team, and like Eric Bledsoe, Batum, is Ibaka going to be healthy? Not to start Terrence the I, don't, I don't know when. I, I think Ibaka will be available soon-ish, but I don't think he's going to be Justice Winslow's on this team? They, yes, it's like is. they have too many guys, and I don't know who their top nine is. I have the Clippers out. I think the Clippers are a seven or an eight seed. The 
the teams I feel the best about in order: Lakers, Suns, Mavs, Warriors, Utah. And then I think there's a drop off. So I'm with you on Mavs. If not for the giant question of Jason Kidd and how the hell they're going to play. And is this going to be like Milwaukee where they're playing crazy schemes on defense that make no sense? Or is he just going to settle in as a coach? I'm really, my, I, I said this to you on your podcast. My hottest take is that the Mavs could win the West. Now it's open this year because of Murray and Leonard and clay, particularly actually, I don't, I'm not going to say the Mavericks have like a better than 10% chance tonight. I just think it's on the table for them. Let me go back. Well, to Denver. Really, really easy division too. Like yeah, they're well, they're they, like minus two ten for that division. There's might they might be the only above five hundred team in that division. So I don't know. I I just you know we've talked about it. We talked about it on my pod. But the Luca, he's a guaranteed fifty wins to me at this point for what he is. He's just pencil him and Giannis in for fifty wins as long as their teammates are okay. So my confidence rankings for this group went Mav, excluding Utah, who I have in a different tier than you have. I went went Mavs. Nuggets, Warriors, Blazers, Clippers. So I had the Blazers and the Clippers in seven and eight in, in the West and in the play-in. Um, here's the case for Denver. I like their starting five, which I, I presume will be Monty Morris, Barton, Gordon, Porter, Jokic. And I just think if Jokic is healthy and Porter is healthy, I just think their offense is going to maintain a really high level. And and their I, I think their depth is okay. They'll stagger things, hopefully, so that when Jokic rests, Porter is on the floor. Like mm. I just think they're going to be a solid offensive team. Defensively, they always seem to flip-flop from 10th to 20th, but they'll be around average. Home I just court advantage. Home court, real home court. I just think they're a good, solid team. And I'm sixth. Guy. That's fine. That's that's fair. Um, Dallas, we're both, we're both high on. Clippers, let's skip the Clippers for a second. Where are you on the Warriors? Because the Warriors are – Maybe the most polarizing team to project this year. I saw Hollinger, our old friend, came out with his Warriors projection, had them 39 and 43 and 10th in the West or something, or maybe 11th in the West. I can't remember off the top of my head. It was like, whoa, I mean, that's, that's low. I like Hollinger. That's ridiculous. Why? Make the case why it's ridiculous because they, they, they have been so uneven the last two seasons. And as Steph got hurt right away in the first one and all that, but they looked terrible. Remember those first four games that were just getting waxed by everybody. And it was like, whoa, what exactly, what, what is this team without clay? And, and then the Wiseman thing, and that didn't go well. Now they have all these young guys. Is Otto Porter in shape? Is like, make the case for why that's ridiculous. Cause I agree with you. I'm high on the Warriors, but make the case on your end. So the case for them not doing well would be Clay doesn't really come back until January. So we just lose two months of Clay, and that which hurts seems his. to be which seems to like the reporting keeps mentioning Christmas, Christmas, like that's basically January. Yeah, but the here's the thing: I'm actually a pool believer, and I like all the Me stuff too. coming out of him from the preseason. And there was who wrote the really good story? Was that in the Athletic? Was that Marcus Thompson? Uh, he had a pool story like two days ago. Yeah. And I, I was down with it because I thought Poole had a lot of moments for them last year where it's like, this is not just a filling guy. This is like somebody that potentially could be their sixth man if they're a really good playoff team. I also like, we've seen this in football where nobody had a training camp last year. And then this year they've had their training camp and the guys from last year's draft are just really impactful. Um, the fact, Just the fact that they have a whole year with Wiseman just to like, Try to turn him into something. I like all their options. I like the young legs. I think we'll see a little Kaminga. 
this year. I'm not a massive fan, but some of the stuff's won me over. Like they're going to have the ability if they have a lead to bring in like this wave of young guys with energy, at least at home. I think their home crowd is going to matter. And I think Curry is a transcendent star. I really do. Like, I just feel like if as long as his teammates are decent, that's 46 and 36 to me. I I think if they can just hold the fort around 500 until Clay comes back, I think this season could mirror what last season was. When Where they go on the run. When yeah. they took when they basically were like, all right, forget Wiseman's hurt. Forget the youth, forget the development. Let's just play our way. Let's play a lot of Draymond at center. Juan Toscano Anderson, you know how to pass and cut and shoot three. Like, come on in. You're playing a lot more. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, hey, here are the Warriors again. Even Andrew Wiggins kind of fits in. Kelly Uber, you don't know how to play our style. We're we're minimizing your role. Let's go. Let's play. Then they went on this run. Now you can maybe you want to minimize that as well. You know, you just never know like the last six weeks of the NBA season, depending on your schedule. How many games are you getting against teams that are just not trying? But that Warriors run felt real to me. The numbers with Steph and Draymond on the floor and no Wiseman felt real to me. If they can just hold the fort until Clay comes back and the playoff seedings break right for them, I think this is a really dangerous team in the postseason. I had Anthony Slater and Nick Friedel on my podcast last week to preview the Warriors. I was by far, I was like higher than both of them. Slater was in the middle. Friedel's like, you're crazy. They're just not going to be all that good. I really like this team. I just, I, I don't. Me too. Well, I, it goes back to identity, right? I know what the identity of this team is. I like their wings. Like Wiggins, who now, especially with the vaccination stuff, and was a punching bag anyway, but Wiggins had moments for them last year. If anything, he had too much confidence. He was the opposite of Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons was um, terrified in any big moment. Wiggins was kind of like, I got this, especially in the playing games. But I thought Wiggins did some okay stuff for them, and he's a guy who— he's fun. For his career is like basically a twenty point a game scorer. If you know, Wiggins he's not, were, a, he's if, not a jackass. If Wiggins were making fifteen million dollars a year, everyone would be like, Andrew Wiggins is like nice, useful player yeah, to have. Good around. role player, good, good yeah. solid starter, like doing doing good two way players. Really bought into defense, you know, all that stuff. I like Porter as a flyer. I really like Poole as we discussed. Um, and Toscano Anderson came up big a lot of times for them last year. And then you bring back Clay, and it's like they have all these interchangeable. Guys who know how to play basketball and they know what their identity is, which is everything runs through Steph. The one that the one that I'm the most curious from a ceiling basement standpoint is Utah. Cause I think last year was really, really damaging how they went out. And I, I think we gloss over this as fans sometimes when you have high expectations, especially what they were able to build as the season went along. And the way it flamed out, and it flames out against a team that doesn't even have Kawhi, you know? And it was such a choke job. I mean, that I went to that game. That was one of the all-time choke jobs I've been to. Really was a flat-out, other than Mitchell, who didn't even play that well, but at least he wasn't scared. Like, there were dudes out there that were, you know, in their own heads in all these different ways, and the fans were into it and the whole thing. And I, I find it hard to believe they're just going to, like, shrug that off and just head into the next season. We saw it with the Blake, Chris, that that Clippers team. Like sometimes you can take some dents, and it's hard to come back from it. Well, that's you know, the and then there's bad luck. They had really good injury luck last year until Conley got hurt. But just in general, like I, I just I'm really curious to see how it plays out. What do you think? In declaring this a borderline make or break year for Utah, I have made that exact Clippers comparison before. Now going back to that game, Utah fans will rightly tell you. 
Mike Conley missed some time and it was injured and was not himself at that point. Donovan Mitchell was dealing with the ankle injury. They held him out of game one. And Memphis like wasn't himself. If those guys are themselves, we're going to be fine. We're going to win that series. Maybe we might even be in the finals. Fair, maybe. The other team had some injury issues too. You were the number one seed. You were up 2-0. And I do, if you look at their last, it just seems like they leave the playoffs every year feeling sour about it, right? So their last four playoff appearances, First round loss to the Rockets. Rockets are favored, fine, but their offense, Utah's offense just completely falls apart. They miss a gazillion open threes. Next one, second round loss to the Rockets, I think. Um, same thing, their offense falls apart. Okay, so now let's remake our team. Bogdanovich, come on in. Clarkson, come on in. Spread, pick, and roll. We're going to jack threes in transition. We're going to be this offensive machine. Nobody can guard us. Get to the playoffs again. 3-1 against Denver in the bubble. Up 3-1. Jamal Murray lights us up. We fail again. We blow the lead. Mike Conley's shot rattles out. Another what-if moment. Our defense falls apart. Last season against the Clippers, our defense falls apart again. It's like they just can't ever get it all together. And every year they feel like something went wrong. We fell short of expectations. I think this is a huge year for them. The reason I have them a tier above, despite all that, is I do think they've shown, look, they shrugged off the whole COVID thing the whole blown lead in the bubble, and they came out and kicked everyone's ass in the regular season last year. I just think by continuity, system, coaching, this team is going to be a regular season wins machine, and I'm also just not going to care anymore. You've advanced. Congratulations, Utah. You have advanced to the point where I am not going to pat you on the back yeah. if you're the number one Let's seed. make a pact. Neither of us are leading a podcast with Utah this season. We're just saying, I mean, let's I- make a pact. If they could, something crazy could happen that would result in us leading. If there's a brawl in their locker room, I'm leading the podcast with them. But Fair. I'm not. It's like James Harden. I'm not. I'm not patting you on the back for lighting up the Cavs for 45 points in the regular season. Well, anymore. did we? Did we talk about new owner syndrome with them? We did. We did. Right. So that's the other factor of this. What happens if this doesn't go well to start, and the trade rumors start? And as you know, nobody can whisper even the hint of a trade to another team without it getting broken by five reporters within four hours. I don't know how anybody makes a trade. You almost have to like do like a pinky blood swear, you know, ceremony, sweat, sweat ceremony to, uh, to even discuss a trade for five seconds. And with this team, you you asked me to write down all my trade candidates I just, just for fun. Yours. Yeah. I have every Utah guy not named Mitchell. I think all of them, all of them are a trade candidate. Everybody in that team wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. But I do think they're going to win so many enough regular season games that the noise is going to go quiet for a bit, and then the rubber is going to meet the road. Maybe in the first round of the play, I mean, the West is so good. There is just no matchup where you're like, oh, we got this is an easy. Like they got the Grizzlies last year, and that was the benefit of being the number one seed. They, they the there was a second where it looked like they might get the Lakers, and they were terrified. They got the Grizzlies, who are young and good, but kind of not ready. You're not guaranteed to get that um, in the West. So I, but I think they'll win enough games. Let's do a couple more rapid fire ones, and then I'll let you go. Uh, where's Ben Simmons ending up? They're, now they're leaking out the stuff about his head's not in the right place. All that stuff. So that's like they 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 moved to like phase seven of their plan to try to get him traded, and it's pretty clear Philly's like we're good, man. We just, you won't get paid and we're not making a dumb trade. So let the staring contest continue. I, it feels like, um, it still feels like Sacramento to me. It's the most logical team. And I think Cleveland would be my number two pick. The Minnesota thing is hilarious. And I'm not doubting the reporting, but 
they just it, it's just not a match. Like sometimes you're not a match. Philly's not trading Ben Simmons for like a D'Angelo Russell package and Towns is too much and it's just it's not a match. Sorry. And if it's a three teamer, it's going to get out well before they even start talking about it. The Sacramento, the easiest most fun trade is just Fox for Simmons. I don't think Sacramento will do it. Sacramento's not doing that. I know. But it's the most easy fun trade. So you the you, trade that doesn't make sense to me is you send him to Sacramento for like Halliburton and Heald, which makes sense on paper. But now I'm in this weird Fox Simmons who should have the ball thing. And part of the thing with Simmons, and I'm not even sure we should all be talking about it anymore. Um, as have we ever spent more time talking about somebody who just hasn't gotten better in four years offensively and who has, you know, been more of a no-show in the postseasons for what his talent and what his kind of perception was, where it's just like, I'm not positive this guy can be a winning player in the playoffs. Well, look, we all saw what happened in the playoffs, uh, not only last season, but against Toronto, against Boston the previous season. He's had some good series early, and then as the competition has gotten better, He's, he's fallen apart. You just mentioned the Kings and the Wolves. Like, all of that stuff you just said about the playoffs is true. Some of these teams just got to get there. Like, some of these teams would yeah. just, like, just get me in. Let, let me fail in the playoffs. I'll throw a freaking parade if we fail in the playoffs. And he is going to help those teams win games in the regular season. Yes. Agree. So I was um, you, you anticipated my theoretical for you. So there's been all this reporting about Sacramento, Sacramento. Fox is untouchable. Halliburton's untouchable. What I was going to ask you is, would you would you include if you're the GM of the Kings, are you are you willing to trade Tyrese Halliburton as the centerpiece of a package for Ben Simmons? I would I would trade Fox over Halliburton. Yeah, I would because I think I think Simmons fits better with Halliburton and Mitchell. If I'm making a trade, I'm really putting real thought into what do I want my roster to look like. I'm not just, I'm not making like a fantasy trade, you know. And I have Halliburton on a rookie contract. Fox is making a ton of money and it's unclear if he's like a difference maker. Is he, could he be the best player in a title team? I don't think so. Could he be the second best player? I don't know. Second be best the, is second best is in play. Best is out of play. It's in and, play, and, but third, third best is realistic. Well, what's Halliburton? We don't know yet. We're going to know this year, but I know I have him on a rookie contract and I, I really liked a lot of the stuff I saw from him last year. But it's a moot point because, and I keep saying this, Daryl's not Daryl's not trading Simmons unless he gets a star back. So we have to look at the stars and it's got to, you got to start looking at McCollum and Fox and people like that. I just think it's going to be a staring contest. McCollum has been the one that has made the most sense all along for both teams. It's just a matter of, I just, I'm not convinced Daryl Morey thinks CJ McCollum is good enough to, to, to be the number. Well, you know what he does? He, he runs these models of, all right, I've flipped Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum. What are my chances to win the title? And the model says 3.2%. And it's like, what are my, what's my model? If I keep Ben Simmons 6.1%. Okay. I'm keeping Ben Simmons. So any trade he knows with Embiid, you have a window. You have no idea how many years he's going to stay healthy. You can look at all the footage of, you know, Ralph Sampson in the mid '80s and people like that, and you just don't know. With big guys, big tall guys, they could be gone in a year. You know, they could be hurt. You just don't know. So he knows right now he's got a guy who's an MVP candidate, and he's not trading his second best guy unless he gets a really good guy back. So we can go round and round in circles with this. That's true. That's that's a good. I point. think like, I just think like. 
I know that team is not going to trade him for three quarters for a dollar. It's not happening. The most fun trade piece for me is Dragic and whether Ooh. Toronto is a tank team or not. Great call. And if Toronto's a tank team, which I think they will be, but then you watch the precious highlights the other day and you're like, oh man, what if Masai like figured out, what if Masai figured out this stealth five seed and none of us saw it coming and Siakam has the comeback and the whole thing. They have um, a lot of, they have, I will say they have a lot of variants, but I'm, I'm a little lower than consensus on the Raptors. I think I, whatever the over under is, I would probably bet the under on the Raptors. I'm lower as well, which means Dragic goes into play December, January, February, and obviously has the Luca thing. But in general, is somebody that I think when you're talking about buyout guys or trade guys in February who could actually make a difference, I think he's one of them. I'm going to, I try to break your brain every podcast. Love it. Are we ready? I'm ready. I got, I, I'm ready. I'm a little afraid, but I'm ready. This, <laughs> I'm glad you took a deep breath. Are we sure Phoenix is going to keep Mikael Bridges this year? Didn't see that coming. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I'm pretty sure they're gonna. I think he'll get a contract extension actually, and then he okay, won't be, and then he won't be tradable. So they wouldn't give eight in the extension. Well, the numbers are going to be different. Eight and wants a max. I think Mikhail Bridges. I mean, I don't know what I can't speak for Mikhail. I don't even know who his agent is. But I, <laughs> I do. I, see, I, I broke your brain. I knew I was going to do it. So, all right, let's let's add all this up. Chris Paul, they just extended huge contract. Booker making a max. DeAndre Ayton, they can hold this off, but guess what's going to happen when he's a restricted free agency in June? He's getting the max. I love Booker's, by the way how I love by the way how everyone's like, well, there's nobody has cap space. DeAndre okay. Ayton's going to get squeezed. Like that doesn't happen. No. Like players of DeAndre Ayton's caliber are going to get. Look what happened with Demar Derozan. Different scale, different age, everything. He got paid his money. Like guys, you can do. You can map the cap universe for me and tell me why there's not going to be room for DeAndre Ayton. He's getting paid. One way or another, DeAndre Ayton is, is DeAndre Ayton's not going to be like, oh, crap, I got to sign a one-year, $4 million contract. Like, that's not happening. He's getting the max. So that's I now have three gigantic contracts on my team, and now I also have to pay Mikhail Bridges, I don't know, $90 million for four years? What is the Robert Sarver history with having a gigantic payroll. We've never seen it for 15, 16, 17 years. And I can't believe people are just penciling this in as like, oh yeah, no, no he's going to pay everybody. Is he? Are we sure? So the Aiton was the first drop. Aiton, it's like, of course they're going to give him the max, right? Now we see it's a stalemate. Now, by the time people hear this, maybe they signed him. But I thought it was, there's five teams in the league that wouldn't be like, hey, DeAndre Aiton, here's your max. Let's, what are we doing? We don't want to take it. You know, we know how it's going to play out, but we also know from what we've seen the last 10, 12 years that every time they don't do the right thing and it gets to restricted free agency, a lot of times there is like some residual bitterness for it and the whole thing. So whether they take care of it now or later, it's going to be taken well, care but of. But you, you expose yourself to um, a shorter offer from another team, a short, a three-year offer sheet from another team. We saw this with, with Gordon Hayward in Utah, right? They, they You're going to see with Bridges yeah. if they don't give him the extension. So if what what is the deadline for them extending them? It's like October thirty first, eighteenth, I believe it's October eighteenth. So if they do not extend him, if they don't give him an extension before that date, we now move into this world where in July that dude is getting a contract that's twenty percent bigger than you and I would think, right? We'd be like, oh, he'll get like eighty for four, will he? Because we've seen over and over again with the league. 
you have to add the 20% from the one desperate team who's just fired up that they have a chance to get Mikhail Bridges. And so I now think we're the, looking at 105 for four or something like that. 110 for four. You have to add the 20%. This is what how the league works. Did you think Fournier was going to get, what do you get, 80 million for four years? Third, well, he year got four, it. Year, year four is a team option. Did you think Hayward was going to get 30 million a year? He got it. Nope. This is how the league works. So somebody's going to do it with Mikael Bridges. And if the Suns don't get him for an extension out, if I was Mikael Bridges' agent, I'd be like, we're not signing Jack. Let's wait. Somebody's going to give us dumb money. It's going to happen in July. Let's wait. Be patient. Say I semi broke your brain. A little bit. Didn't see that coming. I just want to hit Halliburton for one second. I like Tyrese Halliburton. I think he's a really good player. I think he was one of my favorite rookies in the league. I think I had him third in rookie of the year. Awesome yeah. player. Great guest on the Low Post podcast during the finals. Yeah. Would love to have him on my team. Is he like a five-time all-star in his NBA career, or is he just like a good player who helps good teams get better? I don't know the answer to that. I just sort of – it doesn't pass the smell test completely to me that he is like no-brainer without thinking about it, hard no you have Ben Simmons. Don't even ask us about Tyrese Halliburton. I feel like if the Kings – forget Fox, leave him aside. I just if, if Tyrese Halliburton is going to be the thing that gets that done for Sacramento, I, I'm with you. I'm not convinced that it is because of everything you just said about Daryl Morey. I just – are we really writing it off because we, we think he's that good? Like I really like Tyrese Halliburton. Is he actually that – maybe he is. I don't know. I just find – it doesn't pass the smell test to me. Fair. I think he's a winning player. I think I could see him in a playoff series doing really good Abs things and absolutely. playing off. I think is he the second best player in the title team? No. Could he be the shoehorn third? Maybe at some point. I just think all the stuff we've learned about Simmons, basically from during the playoffs, how he played, and then everything after, would make me so scared to trade for him. I, it it just feels like it's starting to get like a child actor kind of, of feel to it where – I don't know where his head's at. I don't know what he cares about. I don't like any of the quotes and information that's coming out about it. Um, I, I I just would be really, I think you have to be pretty desperate as a franchise to just be like, all right, let's roll the dice. It has to be a GM on the last year of his deal. Who's like, I, uh, all right, well, let's see. Maybe this will save my job. Well, that's why people are mentioning some of these smaller market, non-glamour teams who just don't get, all-stars. Ben Simmons is an all-star. They don't get all-stars in free agency ever, let alone, you know, this guy's got four years left on his contract. I think that's why some of these teams are coming up. One more yeah. question. One more yeah. question and we're done. This is an easy one. What player in the NBA is under the most pressure in Bill Simmons household this year? What player is, are you going to be watching with the most scrutiny or you're most interested to see whether, not necessarily pressure to win a championship. Cause we know the teams that are like trying to win the championship, but just what yeah. individual player are you like, Yo, this is a show me season for you. You so I'm a narrative guy. You you're asking me a narrative question, which is my wheelhouse. I think Mitchell is the most interesting all-star this year. Not in that top level, not considered one of the 10, 11 guys, but really well liked and respected. Has had moments, but not moments that have made enough of a difference for them. And they've had some tough playoff stuff. I'm not positive he's on the right team. I think the Dwayne Wade piece, giving him ownership, at least 
20 to 30% of that was a Mitchell move because they don't want to be the next team that has the superstar request a trade. And the unhappy superstar is like, I got to get out of here. And I'm not sure I love that team. And I want to know what happens to that team if it's January 15th and mid and they're not playing as well as we thought. And Mitchell starts shooting 25, 26 times a game and kind of does that thing, which we've seen him do in kind of games and even in some series where he's, he goes in, I got this mode. And it always throws him out of whack a little bit. What happens when that happens? What happens if there's more dysfunction in Utah? And on the flip side, to make turn this positive, I think he's the best candidate for the guy who made the leap, who now is like, wow, if you're going to have your list of 10 best guys right now, he's got to be on it. I think of everybody on that next level, it's probably him. Like what, like, I don't know if you think Tatum Tatum's close and I think Tatum could get there with a really good season this year, but I think people wouldn't be surprised by that. Mitchell moving into that kind of Dame Harden group. It's not inconceivable. I wouldn't bet on it, but is it inconceivable to you? No. And part of the reason why Donovan Mitchell was not on my list as an answer to this question is I'm kind of sold on Donovan Mitchell. Now, is he ever going to be a top eight player in the NBA? That's a, re- I mean, if you start listing the top eight players in the NBA right now, it's like, oh my God. Yeah. Like he's these, not these making it all, all incredible, but he, but has- we also, you have in that group, you have Kawhi's hurt. That's true. You have LeBron who's in year 19. Like there, there might be some spots opening soon for that top eight, top nine, but he's, he's showing up in the playoffs. He has guts on guts on guts. He's uh, like the pull up threes that he's made in the playoffs it was sort of Luca-ish in terms of people would switch and he'd kill you. People would drop and he'd kill you. People, he would just, he was just sort of a one-man scheme buster for them. So, and, and I actually thought, I remember saying this last year, that he had a sort of under-the-radar most improved player case. I just thought he got a little bit better at a lot of things. And people don't consider that for most improved player, particularly from an all-star. So but I'm kind of sold on him. Like if Utah has issues on the court. I don't think they're going to be about Donovan Mitchell. I'm in fact, I've had a, in those spitballing conversations. I've, I told, I, I mentioned before a few people, I don't know if this is like a debate going on around the league, but a few people have pitched it to me. Like, all right, Zach, you got to pick, pick one. Who's better Donovan Mitchell or Bradley Beal. And I'm like, that's a good one. I like that one. You like that one? Yeah, that's a good one. And both of them have had a couple tastes in the playoffs in real ways, but not maybe what, Either of them have totally wanted yet. I to me that this isn't a Mitchell thing to me. This is more. Uh, do I see a situation where Mitchell is unhappy two and a half months from now, and that's what I want to watch. Whether it's just like that, people look at that jazz thing. And it's like this isn't going to work. We're not going to win a title with this. With what we have, it's not going to work. Something's a little bit broken here. But the reason I like Mitchell for this combo is just I could see that version. I could also see the. This guy's turned into Dwayne Wade conversation in mid-January too, where it's like, wow, this guy has become a super duper star. And the seeds were there. None of us are really surprised, but now he's actually doing it. He's averaging 32 a game and he's shooting, you know, he's a 50, 40, 90 guy, whatever. I could see that too. And so in a weird way, I don't want to really talk about Utah this year, but I'm also fascinated to see what happens with him. I think it's broken. I don't, I don't think they come back. My pick and you could spin my pick the same way as the same genre of pick as, as you just made Donovan Mitchell is more about what comes next for this organization than about this player. Mm. And don't 
don't anyone misconstrue this. This is not a call out or anything like that because mm. Carl Anthony Towns has had a brutal last two years on a personal yeah. level, things that actually matter beyond basketball. I do think Carl Anthony Towns should be at some point in his career, a top 10 player in the NBA. He has not been so far, mostly because of his defense. I, I think he's the most skilled scoring big man probably in basketball history. Like the combination of three-point shooting, off the dribble game, post moves, like I just he could do everything. And all that stuff is in the rear view now. Minnesota has a play-in or bust kind of mandate this year. I don't want to be talking about Carl Anthony Towns in three years. It's like, boy, it's just like as Kevin Love 2.0, where it's like he's got to go to a different team. You know, when is he going to buy into the little things that help you win? Okay, he goes and becomes a second option with so-and-so, and then everyone realizes how good he is. Like Carl Anthony Towns is amazing. And if he is – if you put them in a tier with New Orleans, San Antonio, Sacramento, whoever you think is trying to get that 10th, 9th, 11th – 10th or 9th or 8th spot in the West get in the play-in, like – why is he not the best player in, of all those te- on all of those teams? Why is he not the best guy this season? You're going to argue Zion. That's fine. Zion is like a, from another planet. Like Carl Anthony Towns is that good, should be that good. And I'm excited to see on a team that's got Edwards rising, Russell finally healthy. Those three can finally play together. The Malik Beasley's here. Pat Beverly was acquired. Like I want to see in full bloom in his prime, a monster, like all in, like not, Oh, is he kind of sneakily the third all NBA center? No, I'll put Gobert because of X, Y, and Z. Like, should I have him second team? That's what I want to see. I've given up. Wow. I did not just out. Yeah, I'm out. (laughs) Why? What what draft was he? 2014? 2015. I think it's more recent than that. Yeah. 15. 2015. I'm out. It's been too long. You've I think he needs a new him. team. No, I, it's I'm not out on him as a player completely. I just think it's not happening there. And it's the sooner they realize it, the better. I mean, there's a great Golden State trade that they could make. That, and I'm not saying this just because I love Steph Curry, um, but there's a really logical Golden State trade with Wiseman and Kaminga and lots of picks and other stuff that. If I was running Minnesota, I would be looking at this Towns thing like, what are we doing? This guy's going to be asking to leave a year from now, six months from now, 18 months from now. He's not He's not going to be here in two years. What are we doing? What, what, what are we trying to do? Do we have any maybe, chance to compete for a title? No. Let's trade him. Maybe I'm too overexcited about how great of an offensive player he is and too empathetic to Wolves fans who just live through just all the time. It's happening there. That I I want I want there to be like a magical Carl Anthony Towns season where it's like oh my God Minnesota's he's not that guy he's he's not that guy he's just not he's a I think he's a a second guy in a great team I don't think he's which is fine that's what Anthony Davis became and he was almost one like pretty close to first guy on that team but like that's that is sometimes the path for big men like this well that was my pick all right you got to go no I think I think that's a really good pick I just think they're I think. He is the most logical big name to get traded this year other than Ben Simmons, in my opinion. New owner, too, on that team. Fresh start. We'll build around Edwards. We got a bunch of stuff. Hey, T-Wolves fans, here's another three-year plan. Get ready. Got some good draft picks coming up and the whole thing. 
Brutal. I can't end on that note for Minnesota, but we have to. Um, you've got to go. Will you be at Lakers Warriors on October? What is it, nineteenth or twentieth? Whatever the first big Lakers home game is. You gonna be at that game? I don't go to Laker games. I don't like their fans. I haven't seen you in person in like two years. Come to Lakers. I shouldn't Warriors. say that. The Laker fans are nice. It's we'll what hug I don't. It, we'll hug at midcourt. It'll be we a could whole do thing. That. Here's what I don't like. I didn't mean to say I didn't like Laker fans. I don't like being in the middle of happy Laker fans. Like fundamentally, it's like same thing with the Yankee fans. Laker fans all experiencing collective joy. It brings me pain. <laughs> it makes me unhappy and uncomfortable. I see purple and yellow and people cheering. And I just, my instinct is to just run for an exit. It's somehow encouraging and an encouraging way to end this podcast that a man can reach your age and level of maturity as a parent as a human being, as the steward of a media company and a family, and still be pained in a visceral way by other human beings being happy. Well, it's even worse than that. And I thought about this with Brady coming back to New England and this Red Sox Yankees thing is I still, I still completely care. I thought, I, didn't you think as you got older, like some of this stuff, you'd start to get old hat or shrug off. And I still like, like Warriors, Laker fans, I would you, go and I would I, root for the Warriors. I'm not even a Warriors fan. I checked Twitter last night during the Red Sox Yankees game, and the first tweet I saw was you were like on fire about ESPN was not showing enough Reds. They were showing oh, all like that, terrible. I was like, was, run by a Yankee fan. Your emotion, they have a rod. Emotion yeah. took over and just, just it just came right out. I'm like, my oh. God, he's they're up three nothing. Be happy. It was irresponsible. It was like Pravda reporting on, like, just completely slanted. It was just all gotta, about the 1978 playoff podcast, game. This podcast has to end. Listen to the Bill Simmons podcast. Who's the next guest on the Bill Simmons podcast? Al Pacino or something? Who is it? No, we just had Michael Keaton. Don't know if you've Ooh, heard of him. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, no, it's million-dollar picks and some succession stuff for Thursday. Oh, so succession's coming go. back soon, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good all right, one. there we go. Bill right. Simmons, Good to see you, my friend. friend. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.